Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Feliz Lua de Mel, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is a message to our good friend, Drew Scanlon, who is away this week and hopefully having a fantastic time. I'm having a fantastic time with Rob Zachney because we've already recorded the first 10 minutes of this podcast, uh, so it's clearly a Danny-hosted episode, eh, buddy? I'm glad this time you didn't say that Drew was uh, off enjoying himself, if you know what I mean. Like you did the first time we hit that, and I was like, I think that's going to sound different than than you intend, maybe, given the given the message. That's uh, true. So I think this time it went went much, much better. Thank you. Than, than it did last time. <laughs> it was a bit open to interpretation that time, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. Um, if you're new to this podcast, a uh, warm reminder that uh, you can check out our preseason primer episode 216, which will tell you everything you need to know about Formula One with no prior F1 knowledge. And of course, this podcast is supported by all of our beautiful friends over at patreon.com slash shift F1, including our amazing title sponsors, Get Rich or Die Ryan, Agave ATX, Cyphus Training, Turf SES, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, TelemetryDeck.com, FTC, James Andrew Perla Adams, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foote, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, The Space Above Us Podcast, Dollar Signs, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rumpf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Maddened Man, Jason Kelly, and of course, M Squared Racing welcomes Ellie. And if you felt like you had to suffer through all those names, just think that Rob has had to do it twice. <laughs> Very sorry. We recorded like 15 minutes of this podcast. We did. And then we realized did. that we never hit record. Yeah. Well, we see Rob's being very gener- generous and saying we, because it was definitely my fault. Uh, but we're, we're here. is everyone that's responsible. That's true. That's true. We, we do try and uh, limit the amount of... Uh, Danny hosted podcasts. I mentioned this on the previous recording as well. And this is a pure example as to why. Thank you to all of our incredible title sponsors. You've been amazing this year. Uh, massive, massive thanks. We're almost at the end of the season. Uh, we really appreciate everyone over on Patreon has been supporting us uh, uh, this year and so many of the years. Uh, and of course, we produce a bunch of really cool Patreon-exclusive stuff. The BMW films uh, we produced last month. This month, uh, according to the last podcast, we might be watching the Fernando documentary. We'll have to see. We'll wait for Drew to get back from Parts Unknown before we uh, we make that call. Uh, but today we're here to talk about Interlagos, uh, the uh, stay, the, the circus between the lakes, a fantastic piece of F1 heritage, uh, which thankfully we are now going to get until 2030, I believe, Rob. That is great news. Uh I'm like I'm glad that it's been extended because a few years ago, remember we were 
they were floating this idea to build a new track for the Brazilian GP. It was involved like cutting down conservation land, like the last like natural forest standing. What, what's more Brazilian and, than that, Rob? It's it's very true. Uh, we beautiful beautiful nature, beautiful landscape. We must log it and develop it. Uh, but it, I'm glad that plan has gone by the wayside. Uh, Interlagos is a special place. I think it's one of the few venues that not only like has stayed on the calendar for a long time, but it, it still it tends to look like it does in the old footage. It hasn't been yeah. changed a ton. A lot of grass, uh, you know. Yeah, like the, the grass. The I mean, even the even the like aging concrete on the facilities. Like everything <laughs> yeah. about it feels like very much of its moment. Uh, it's a it's a great place, and oddly enough, you know, for all that you hear about, for all that F1 cars have changed and maybe don't fit classic tracks as well as they used to, something about Interlagos just generates exciting on track action, almost no matter what technical regs they put out. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, we have a lot of racing to talk about today because, of course, this was a sprint weekend, uh, and we have a lot of overtakes and some interesting. Spots. A lot of overtakes in some places you'd expect them, and a couple of ones that in places you wouldn't. Uh, we have a lot of racing, like I said, to talk about. Let's quickly just, we'll jump ahead to Saturday, because obviously this was a sprint weekend. We did practice and qualifying on the Friday, and then uh, Saturday was the sprint. Uh, but for the sake of clarity, let's just jump on over to the sprint. Uh, the shootout went ahead. The, the major incident of the shootout occurred pretty early on when Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso had a rather dramatic and unexpected coming together between turns two and three. Rob, what did you make of this? Uh, you know, it was... At first, I definitely understood, because it was one of those things where they're going through a complex of corners. Alonso moves over to allow Ocon through, and he doesn't he doesn't move over a ton and Ocon wobbles and like hammers into him. Yeah. But even on the replay, once you got the uh, Ocon in car, he had completely lost the car. It was one of those things where you're compromised into one, you know, one corner, you hit the other curb too hard, mm. now you're fighting to maintain control of the car and you just don't have enough there's not enough space for you to gather the car back up before you're gonna be in the grass and the wall, whatever. And so I do think it was one of those things where if it were more marginal case, I think you could say, is Lonzo, and really in general, RF1 drivers leaving enough space when they move over as to not impede a lap? Because there, there are a lot of moments where you're like, that's kind of tight. Like yeah. you're, you're really asking for a lot of trust from the guy who is whipping along at you know, 300 kilometers an hour. But I, I think what lets him off the hook here is that uh, – Ocon was going to have a crash like it, you know Alonso could have been half off the track and I think they still end up having a dramatic shunt. Yeah, the stewards ended up saying that this was a, uh, a racing incident, <laughs> a qualifying incident, let's call it. And uh, then that neither driver was the majority at fault. Uh, Ocon protested that he did not lose control of the car. Uh, the stewards thought otherwise, but they also said that Alonso while he had left space was in the process of moving back towards the left when it happened. So a little bit of a uh, little, little bit of both of there. No love lost between those, those two, though. If ever there was two drivers you you didn't want to see crashing into each other, uh, probably the two of them. Two guys with just awesome reputations as teammates. People Absolutely. just like people love driving alongside them and sharing a garage. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, they have something in common now, that and this beautiful crash. Uh, so sprint qualifying ended uh, with uh, f- with Lando Norris on top with a fantastic uh, lap pipping Max Verstappen by uh, six, sorry, six hundredths of a second. Uh, Verstappen in second, Perez got third, Russell in fourth, Hamilton fifth, Sonoda in sixth, Charlotte Claire in seventh, uh, Danny Ricciardo in eighth, another strong qualifying from him. Uh, Carlos Sainz in 7th, Piastri in 10th, Magnussen 11th, Hulkenberg behind him in 12th. Gasly uh, managed to get a time in before his incident. He ended up in 13th. Botas was 14th, Alonso 15th. Then we have Ocon, sorry, Gasly, I mean Ocon. Um, Ocon was in 16th, uh, Stroll 17th, Zoe uh, 18th, Albon 19th, and Sargent 20th. The rending out the sprint grid. Um... I guess I'll take the start of this and uh, see if you've got any notes. Any of you've got notes here as well, Rob. Um, interesting start for we're all looking at Verstappen and Norris. Max had a great little start. Um, got ahead of Norris pretty handily into turn one. And then Perez, seeing this, decided to do the opposite of his teammate and just lose a bunch of places, one after the other. Per- uh, Russell got him pretty quick. In that first uh, section of Senna S corners, Hamilton got past them as they came down to turn four, a spot we're going to see a lot of overtaking. Uh, Oscar Piastri decided to explore the outskirts of the track while that was going on. And wouldn't you know it, uh, as they entered the arena section, George Russell doing one of the daring overtakes to get past Lando Norris uh, and uh, steal second from him. So not a great opening lap for either Perez or Norris, Rob. No, uh, and I, I did feel like it was funny watching Hamilton uh, overtake Perez as well because I feel like Hamilton does the thing Perez always tries to do and fails to do, which is just go around the outside and just <laughs> hang it right. around and go. And every time Perez tries it, it ends in tears. Uh, he just consistently misjudges it, and Hamilton just kind of effortlessly sweeps past him. Uh, and so it was like it was a really good start for the Mercs, and. I was like, hmm, <laughs> this could be an interesting weekend for them. And then I sort of feel like the we- the, the race weekend played out microcosm in the sprint because they, they have a pretty good start. Uh, things get a bit mixed up. Uh, you know, they kind, of, they kind of feast on Perez at the start. And then race pace begins to tell. Oh, my Lord. Mercedes just dragging, dragging all the way through Brazil to that Brazil, thick Brazilian air. They just did not have top speed. And uh, like you said, Rob, it, it, it was a problem for them all weekend. Uh, maybe worth mentioning that the sprint weekend, one of the byproducts of them is that you really only have that first practice session to get any sort of data on your setup. Um, and while they did change their aero stuff throughout the weekend, it, it didn't really seem to matter. Uh, lap four, Perez manages to get past Hamilton at turn one fairly easily. Norris gets past Russell, uh, back into second on turn five. It's just like reversey is happening. Yeah. Um, Perez then gets past Russell uh, into P3 uh, turn eight, but Russell does a great little fight and manages to get it back. Yeah, for two, this, for is two one laps. Of those, this is one of those tracks where like the DRS zones are set up that it's very easy to carry off the move heading into turn one. But then the advantage is immediately returned to the person who was overtaken, and they get a little chance to fight back. For the most part, I feel like you tended to see, like, it was kind of a done deal. It was just, like, 
the guy who gets overtaken maybe has one one last go at it. Right. Uh, but like, yeah, Russell made a bit of a fight fight of, fight of it. And Perez, in fairness, well, maybe this isn't in fairness um, to critique him. Perhaps he was one of the drivers that, for whatever way he was taking his line into that second turn. He was losing a bit of speed getting down the straight, and this wasn't the first time that he ended up conceding a position um, on that Wouldn't straight. Wouldn't be the last. It would not be the last. It would not. Uh, once, uh, sorry, turn 10, or uh, uh, lap 10, rather, Perez does eventually get past Russell and makes it stick this time. Uh, Ricardo does a great overtake uh, on Signs into turn one. Super tight one. Uh, Signs does get him back, though, on turn four. Another one of those, you know, you kind of... You take that turn one a little bit too hard, and it really does uh, make you sacrifice the next couple of corners. Uh, Ricardo does get past Signs again on turn 14, and then Signs once more takes it back on turn four. Great little battle between the two of them. Uh, then, because of all of this, Oscar Piastri, who's sort of waiting in the wings, manages to get past Ricardo. I believe it was on turn eight. Great lunge, like a, an unexpected overtake in a part of the track we didn't see uh, too much of that going on. Uh, and then we got, I would say, the sequence of the weekend. This fantastic battle between Fernando Alonso and Pierre Gasly on lap fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe this is for eleventh uh, position. So you know the points paying prizes here in the sprint don't start until you get into the eight, <laughs> eight or lower. Uh, great fight into turn one. Gasly getting past Alonso as they round turn two down to straight side by side. The whole way down into turn four. And then Alonso, does he hang around the outside? I think he does. I think he just gets him around the outside, breaks slightly later, and, and makes the apex or ma- makes the turn. Yeah, I have the, I have the notes, but I don't remember. Like, I didn't make a note of the exact positioning, uh, but I do have, like, it's great. It's a great duel. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, the whole way, like, a, like the type of stuff that I think we didn't really get it all during those dirty air years that is now starting to i mean when we first got the regs back there seemed to be a lot of this going on um, yeah maybe a little bit less this year but it was it was cool to see it here um lap 21 i think it's only a 24 lap race here uh lap 21 sprint lap 21 leclerc passed hamilton into turn one uh and then yuki Sonoda is suddenly on hamilton's ass and then down yeah. into turn four He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. And then Yuki Tsunoda goes, maybe not. Then he kind of backs out a little bit and Hamilton uh, gets it past. Uh, But that was, uh, I guess, the patience of Tsunoda because on lap 22, just one lap later, he gets him into turn one and makes it stick. Ricardo getting past Piastri again. Um, So double overtakes there by our AlphaTauri friends. Uh, Ricardo up into ninth, not quite points paying prize, but at least avenging the overtake that he um, gave in a couple of laps prior to that. Um, and then we have a, a great battle between Alonso and Piastri um, into turn one on lap twenty four. Uh, Piastri keeps it though on on, on turn. Uh, a bit, well, I think that was turn four again. I think it was a turn one, turn four situation again. And then right at the end, we have Ricardo on signs having a little battle for eighth, but he can't make it stick. Ricardo finishes the race in ninth position. The winner of it, Max Verstappen, who held a fairly solid lead over Lando Norris for the race. Norris was about four seconds behind him. Um, 
Uh, quite far behind him, Sergio Perez in third position. Then we had Russell in fourth, Leclerc fifth, Sonoda sixth, Hamilton seventh, and Carlos Sainz with the final points of the sprint in eighth position. Then we had Ricardo ninth, Piastri tenth, Alonso eleventh, Stroll twelfth, Gasly thirteenth, Ocon fourteenth, Albon fifteenth, Magnussen in sixteenth, Xiaoguan Yu in seventeenth, Nico Hulkenberg in eighteenth, Valtteri Bottas in nineteenth, and Logan didn't talk about him once all weekend, Sergeant. Uh, sitting pretty and sometimes um, that's a good thing for 20 Morgan. yeah that's fair that's fair uh what did you make of the sprint it was uh i don't know it was there was some action there there was some good there was a couple of good bits that felt like it was worth the cost of entry yeah and that's about that's roughly how i ended up feeling about the race as well where like i think there were long periods where i was like i wish there were more action i wish the you know the like especially because of the way that they've kind of engineered overtaking to work in F1. A lot of times it felt like, even with the ability to fight back from losing a position at turn one, a lot of times it was still kind of going just in inevitability. It felt like a, it felt like a race where a lot of times <clears throat> the field just kind of resorting itself into a natural running order <laughs> right, yeah. rather than yeah. like necessarily <laughs> being uh, you know, a really, really viable race for a lot of folks. Uh, but the bright spots are really bright. And I think that was true of the sprint. And I think it was true of the race where I think I would have said a lot of this race was a bit dull. Mm. Uh, but then there were a couple moments that completely kind of redeem it for me. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's just kind of the way the, the, the circuit seemed to work this, this weekend. Speaking of dull, during qualifying on Friday, the skies over Interlagos turned shade into something quite dark and ominous. Uh, qualification was delayed uh, for quite a while. I think uh, I watched the, it after the fact. I had it DVR'd or whatever. It's because of the support racing, right? Uh, was that what it was? I, I assumed I think, it was weather related. I, I think there was sports car racing, and uh, they had to do some like track repair and track cleanup. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. So I think that that was contributing to the delay. Took a little while. Uh, they eventually got going, um, and all things considered, it was a fairly uh run of the mill qualifying until they were coming out for Q3 and these insanely black clouds that I think it's the contrast I think it's when you have sun on the track and then yeah. you have a weather front coming in that is just a completely different reality well this is also like one of the charm we get up to this is Zandvoort too yes uh, I think some of the most exciting F1 venues are situated in a place where you can see the weather right and See like the track yeah and so like interlagos is is set against the skyline basically like the start finish straight is the sort of spine of a ridge and so the camera is at the top of the circuit <laughs> that overlook the circuit catch weather fronts forming and just rolling over town and like over the grid and it was biblical as this as this storm formed <laughs> and started to roll in uh there there was a there was a wide shot where it was like it wasn't just like, oh, here's a bunch of clouds coming in over. It looked like the sky was like <laughs> churning toward the track. Yeah, uh, and you see all the, the the lights come on, and yeah, the, the it was it was it was really really dramatic. And I suspect more dramatic in person because obviously the the gain on the camera is punches. You know, they, they try to make it a lot more visible. But when when you heard Alonzo on the radio saying like it's night, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> not great conditions. Um, 
did I think did some people not even go out in Q3 just because they missed their window and it was like clear that it was yeah there was a couple of them done. went early uh, Stroll was one of them and yeah. there were sort of shades of Magnuson in was it 2021 yeah. maybe no last year I think it was the last year he got yeah he got yeah, pulled it just didn't work out well for him in the end it but didn't yeah no. uh, it, yeah. But yeah, he had a there was a great moment to sort of, you know, himself and Gunter embrace. And of course, he was in the he was in the car. He was in the in the garage actually when he managed to find out he got Paul last year. And was a terrific scenes, a really great moment. Um, but yeah, the same thing happened here. What was interesting was there was a great bit of radio from McClare, who said he had never in his life seen this before. But he said it didn't r- start raining yet, but the track was wet. So obviously the moisture or whatever this front that was coming in was there was enough like of a <clears throat> an uptake in humidity or whatever happened. That's weird. It's so strange. He was like, he's like, it feels like it's wet on the ground. But he, obviously his visor had no rain on it at all. He's like, it's completely changed. You can't drive. Everyone who went out late like didn't have a good qualifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that that was a striking aspect. Um. Yeah, it, it was probably it was the more inter- interesting part of the qualifying, except for, uh, I guess, you know, the track evolution stuff was really dramatic this weekend, so it was one of those qualifyings where nobody is safe. Yeah. Um, which is a bit interesting, but sometimes I, I do wonder also if uh, so much of qualifying is redundant, right? Like, the, 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 the fact that, like, track Evo means that kind of literally everyone is just kind of waiting to get their real lap done at the end of the session, uh, and so you still have the traffic jams, no matter how long the uh, the session is. Yeah, exactly. And everyone, you know, all eyes on on Verstappen to see, you know, what time he would set. He had a blistering fast. I don't have the the, the time here. For, actually, I can probably find it really quickly. Um, uh, he had a blisteringly fast. Uh, it was a one ten seven. Um. Uh, for his uh, his uh, lap, which I think at the time was like almost like I think it was the six tenths up on um, anyone else uh, from earlier in it. Um, I'm trying to see if there was representative times done by everyone. It looks like everyone except for Piastri got out in Q3, but like you said, the times really fell away. Sergio Perez had an awful time um, with his one a full two two seconds at least off of uh the pace uh when it shook out they they eventually red flagged that they straight up just went nope we're done <laughs> this we're not gonna get this done in time uh bring it in folks and when they did that max verstappen was on pole position uh charlotte claire behind in lance stroll in third with fernando alonso in fourth terrific day out for aston martin uh, Mercedes in fifth with Lewis Hamilton, Lando in sixth. Um, not obviously as well as his uh his 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 sprint race, but um you know pretty decent for McLaren. Signs in seventh, Russell eighth, Perez in ninth, and Piastri in tenth. They were sort of the worst sufferers of the evolving track conditions in Q three. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg was eleventh, Magnussen twelfth, Albon thirteenth. The three of them will get to know each other in a second. Uh, Esteban Ocon in 14th, he'll get to know them too, I guess. Gasly, 15th. Sonoda, 16th. Ricardo, 17th. Bottas, 18th. Sargent, 19th. And uh, Joe had a pretty terrible Q1 and was at the back of the pack. Uh, action of a different kind on this um, uh, first lap. But before we even got around, 
Charlotte Claire had a little bit of a moment. <laughs> my notes. Usually I'm giving my notes right now. I've got like start and then I leave it blank because we're about to have the start of the race. Here in my notes, start is crossed out uh, because <laughs> the next thing is LeClaire. Oh, my goodness. Why is he so unlucky? Why? That's what he was selling himself, right? Uh, so he binned it. It was on the exit of turn two, is it? Um, Was it? I feel like he might have made it further around. Maybe it was. I, I, I mean, caught I it. He made, I think he made like a half dozen corners. But either way, my first thought was classic. You know, you're putting heat in the tires. Like, you know, as Francis He's done it before. Like, <laughs> he did it, he yeah. did it at Monaco, right? Was it 2020, <laughs> I think? Yeah, I mean, who who among us uh, hasn't <laughs> lost it, uh, you know, trying to get heat into the tires before a, uh, before a start? But that actually wasn't what happened. Uh, it was a hydraulic issue plus an engine issue. Um, mm. And it seemed like he, you know, in the interview after he, he knew what it was. But, yeah, he just, like, completely lost steering, lost the car uh, on the formation lap. And then we also had the odd bit of he seemed to not know what to do with himself. He kept the, – they dragged the car up onto the ridge, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, they put it <laughs> in a shady grove. And – he kept kind of running to the car and then like starting back down toward the pit lane and then going back to the car. I like maybe it's a sense of disbelief. Um, maybe he was trying to get as many fines as he could. You know, he was yeah. envious of Lewis. It should be mentioned that uh, to your point about Interlagos being one of these sort of older tracks, although now that I mention that, I can't remember if that was on the first or second recording of this podcast. Um, but to that point, Interlagos is one of the trickier tracks to get a car back. It doesn't. Ha- it wasn't built in the era of escape roads and the era of like, you know, uh, what do you call them? Like like your, your circuit's frontage roads. You're like you know, yeah. a way of getting back around. There's a lot of parts of this track where your car is going to stay there until the race is over. Um, they just need the AMR safety team from Indy, really. Like, they just need dudes <laughs> in a big tow truck to just, like, pull up. Pick it and up. And just, like, drag that thing. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, it won't be the first bit of... Uh, Leclerc is out of the race, but maybe he should have kept the seatbelt on. Who knows? Uh, because some action happens on turn one here. Um Immediately, the both Aston Martins have just a bit of a mare with their start, and Norris gets around uh, both of them. And then we have Alex Albon, who has had fantastic starts in that Williams. Um, he blamed what happened next on the fact that they have the best starts on the grid. He said this, not, not me. Um, he has a great uh, start, as I mentioned before. He is basically right behind the two horses. He goes around the outside of Kevin Magnuson, uh, sorry, Hulkenberg, uh, and then we have in one of these three into twos. We have sort of had a couple of these little crashes where it's kind of no one's fault. We all we all run out of track. These cars are too wide. Uh, Magnuson was on um, uh, was I guess was it Hulkenberg was on the right and um, Magnuson was on his left. And uh, he basically got squeezed. Albon and Magnussen had really bad damage. They both crashed out, went straight at turn one. Hulkenberg was able to continue, but his car was pretty badly damaged. We also had Oscar Piastri getting sort of, uh, I think he got rear-ended, basically. His rear uh, By the wing. boomeranging uh, Haas. Yeah, I think, I think Magnussen's car is it swung around. Just tagged him hard. And then I noticed this live when it happened, um, but it took them a little while on the replays to get around to it. Uh, 
a wayward tire flew off of one of the cars, I'm not quite sure who it was, and was bouncing up and down between the field. And it just so happened that Danny Ricardo's rear wing is where it decided to land as he was turning that corner. He actually did try and move out of its way. It was one of those like, you know, there's too much English on the tire. Uh, we've we've all yeah, had those moments. Right. You're playing yeah, a video you're game, right? right? Yeah. Where you're like, I, I need to dodge something, and you've just judged completely the wrong way that this is going to go, or it's just like it's not moving in the straight line you thought it was, and it's yeah. just like it's that thing has like lock and tone on uh, <laughs> on on Danny's car. It was <laughs> Albin's. It was Albin's tire, I think. And okay. ironically, it was Hulkenberg tagging the tire. Yeah. With his rears that like imparted the new motion and the curve to it because it was a bit spent, and then it picks up the speed as it is like launched, uh, from from uh Hulkenberg's car, I think. And boy, that impact is dramatic because you see that tire carcass just like hammer the yeah. tail end of that uh Alpha Tori, and the whole car just like buckles. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty dramatic and would have been race ending, except we got a red flag. So we had a bunch of these cars that obviously had a bit of trouble. And then like Hulkenberg, for instance, he was able to get back and get his get enough repairs done to get back for the restart. The big question mark was over whether Leclerc had he nursed his car back to the pits. You have to imagine if you have like an hydraulic problem, that might be something that's a bit harder to. To, well, to fix. It depends I guess on they the said the rule is actually quite clear. If you don't make the start, you're not in the race. Oh, like, of course. You're everyone, right. Yes. Everyone else made the start, and then their car takes a disabling hit, and but in the red flag period, you can you can affect repairs. But yeah, Leclerc couldn't have. I think that was one reason why he kept returning his car after this. I think he, he did have the moment of like, well, maybe we can we can fix this, but. Uh, yeah, having not made the grid and the start, he was not going to be allowed to allowed to come in. But uh, it did allow time for Piastri and Ricardo to get their cars fixed up. Unfortunately, because of the nature of the accident and the field gone around once before they called oh, the course. red flag. Yeah, yeah, and I feel <laughs> this one so is a bit bad. Ones. This is one of those mm. things where like does does hewing this closely to the rules serve anyone that well? Is this really in the spirit of what we wanted to do uh, with, with a rule like this? Uh, the mechanics would pull off like heroic work to get these cars race ready and, and, and able to re- continue the race and restart on lap four, but they would start a lap down and yeah. with the damage already compromising them. Uh, plus, you know, this is not a this is not like a twenty twenty or twenty nineteen Mercedes uh, situation where it can just like unlap itself from you know <laughs> right. a, a lap down. Uh, they they just weren't able to get back in the race. Unfortunately, uh, they had a lonely time time of it. The incident itself, um, it took a while to figure out like what caused the like fully caused the incident. Like what was the precipitating thing? Because um, for a while I couldn't figure out like why. Hulkenberg shuddered because that's what it looks like. It looks right, like a car yeah. kind of shudders and tags mm-hmm. tags Albin. Albin's in car. It's very simple. He does have a good start. He kept he keeps that thing pointed straight as an arrow yeah. on the far outside of the track. He doesn't move in. He's not trying anything cute. It's K Mag trying to shoot a gap a little bit. Yeah, um, and cut off his teammate a little bit heading toward. Turn one, and there just and isn't he, space for Hulkenberg at that point. Yeah, and he doesn't know Albon's there, right? So, like, like, I guess you know, I guess it's 
It's one of those. It's just, it's a shame. We've had a bunch of these where you're just like, eh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which, which kind of sucks because you're basically like, people are, people are getting like multiple cars taken out because everyone was just trying their best to get an overtake done. And it just was messy. Yeah. You know, part of it is, uh, I, I think there's a few things. Like, I, Magnuson doesn't know what's going on over there, but at the same time, like, come on you have to you have to assume like it's it's a race start like you can't assume that someone's just gonna be able to move over i think there's a bit of almost like an old-fashioned mentality of like i have to you have to assert your position to other drivers in these situations and it's like yeah exactly and i I think the field might be too crowded the cars are too big it's it's too big risk uh you you don't know you don't know what's going on out there the other thing is visibility sucks Nobody has a sense of, I, I don't think the drivers have the strongest like automotive proprioception of like where the, <laughs> the extremities of their and other cars are. Uh, basically what I'm saying is they need spotters. I don't know how F- they do it, man. That first turn as well. It's like downhill. It's like, what, 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 what the hell did they do? F1 just needs a bunch of good old boys on the radio being yeah. like, at uh, your three, at uh, your three, at uh, your four, yeah. clear. <laughs> clear like, right, clear right, clear right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But unfortunately, I want to hear them all react when there's a crash. Whoa, 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 whoa! Yes, this is this is this is what F, this is where F one needs to go. Uh, race engineer, and then the conversation would be great. The race engineer, the spotter, and the driver all just it'd be CB radio vibes the whole race. <laughs> um, on the restart, Hamilton has a big old lockup um, as he's uh, attempting to uh, stave off what I think would be. Forget who was a Norris who was fighting for him. I forget. No, yeah, Alonso. I think, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe both of them. Um. Uh, but uh, yeah, flat spots a tire a little bit, and uh, Alonso manages to get past Hamilton into turn four. Great little overtake there as well. Nice battle between yeah. two of them. I, mean, I feel like Hamilton might have been having a little go at Norris. That's and what then it was. He locks it up, and then yeah. Alonso just scoops him up immediately. Uh, you know, with with Hamilton being sort of caught out there. You're right because uh, Norris, who had had that fantastic start, um initially is back fighting with Verstappen just like the sprint race he's trying to he's trying to catch up with them Verstappen gets out of DRS and then Norris kind of reels him back in uh, over the next few laps and by the time they're coming back around at the end of lap seven they cross the the line Norris is like going for it he's like lunging at, uh, at uh, Verstappen into turn one and we're like hey what's going on here he's caught up with him uh, unfortunately, Verstappen then noticed uh, Norris for the first time in six laps and then decided, oh, sorry, I need to speed up. And uh, almost immediately got out of DRS uh, range and just disappeared into the horizon. It was it was quite remarkable how quickly. I, I suspect there was an element of Verstappen maybe trying to create the gap and I imagine Norris had sort of blown all of his battery trying to... This is, I think some of this stuff... <clears throat> would probably be less dramatic if they tipped us to what battery states were <laughs> yeah. at a given time. Because <laughs> like it, it felt like one of those things where Norris had been carefully, where Verstappen had been like carefully pace managing, and Norris might have been going hell for leather to try to be like, this is my only chance to get it. <laughs> right. And like what you have is a car like at the end of its tether, beginning an attack on somebody who, one, hasn't gone in on their tires too much, but two, has enough battery to put on bursts of speed. Uh, you know, for the next two laps. 
Um, Perez is trying to catch back up. Um, he has had uh, he had a decent uh, shuffle, I guess, in that initial start. Um, by lap fourteen, he has passed Russell into fifth place. Uh, Russell, well, let's talk about this. Yeah, okay. There's a little so. bit of uh, so Russell and me. <laughs> Look, I, again, I like Russell. I think he's a very good driver. He's very impressive. I find him exhausting. Okay, I think yeah. it would be a little tiring to be on the, like, he sees Russell approaching. He sees, he sees Perez approaching. He's behind Hamilton and immediately goes in, let's work together. I'm not going to attack Lewis, but, like, t- <laughs> like we got to, we got to, like, let's figure this out, boys. Let's, like, keep in pace. And, like, you know, Lewis keeps me in DRS and we'll, and we'll go. There is a, there's a, there's a, I don't know what it is, but there needs to be, like, it's like Schadenfreude or something where there needs to be a certain word for, it's, it's close to cringe. I don't know what it is, but it's the, it's the, when the Russell says that, like, I'm not going to overtake him, you know, like, let's, let's work together. It's, it's this assumption that he, that he could or yes. that he, like <laughs> he makes these grand gestures that are fucking meaningless yeah. and that it's, it, but he makes them reflexively. And it's also in this very like, Hey, race team and everyone. Yeah. Let me tell you what my genius strategy I've just come up with. That definitely <laughs> wouldn't have occurred to you. Uh, what if we use DRS to hold the position for both cars? Right. Whereas, and then you've got Hamilton who is like, you know, obviously Hamilton has his own sort of issues as it comes to communication, but there's one thing he's good at is is like sort of taking his time and making the tires last. And he's clearly on a look. I'm, I want to get as much out of the state as possible. Our our car is dog shit. It does not go fast in straight lines. Maybe the well, only way we can get anything out of this is if we manage to out grip people in some fashion. And that is the thing. It just doesn't seem like <clears throat> there was ever. It does not seem like they took George's like let's work to like. It doesn't seem like that was taken that seriously. And certainly nobody told Hamilton to like do the signs thing and just pull Russell along. And mm. maybe that was the strategy, though. Managing a one second gap like that is trickier than it looks. And two, to your point, how like the car was a handful. Yeah, um, Perez had pace, and at a certain point. Uh, it just sort of seemed like Hamilton, you know, lost Russell a little bit and then just kept going because that point it was there was no point in trying to get him back on the uh, get get him back on the DRS tether. So that did that did doom Russell, but I think they were both doomed. One hundred percent. Yeah, DRS was not going to save them from Perez. Uh, you know, given the given the pace disparity you saw, but. Uh, Russell got very snippy on the radio. So are we just uh, driving our own races, races now or what? Yeah. 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 It was almost a shame that he created, I don't know. I get, look, if you're a driver, you need to race, right? You need to like fight for your positions and all that. But it did feel like even if the roles reversed, it, it, it no matter what strategy Mercedes were going to do, given what we saw on, 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 uh, on Saturday, it just seemed inevitable that over the course of this 72 lap race, like Perez was going to get past them. Like it just, you know, not, not that you're not going to fight it, but it just seemed a yeah. bit like if it, it seemed very dramatic and like almost like Russell was watching a different race to the rest of us. Like it, it seemed odd. Russell doesn't, Russell doesn't know when he's cooked. I think is the thing, or he can't believe it. Like it's he's like, quality. we gotta be able to probably think our way out of this. Yeah. There's gotta be, he's a bright yeah. boy. And he's got sort of bright boy energy where it's like, well, certainly there is an answer I can come up with. There's something we can do that will change the outcomes here. But you spend enough time around sport and sometimes you see things and you're like, well, this is early, but it's also done. 
Like I've like, you know, you are just a few minutes into the match and the match is over. There right. might be there might be like a, you know, a couple hours left uh, before everyone goes home. But like it's done. And Russell was in that mode because they tell him now, like, you know, I think it was around lap 16. They tell him you need to start managing your pace. And mm. he's like, well, I'm going to lose positions. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. what that means. Kind of just a little bit. Yeah, or like need to make the tires last, bro. Split the difference. That's your job, right? Is to like, yeah. ma- ma- that's literally the job of of an F1 driver in a, in a race condition. Seems to be try and hold your positions and try and keep as much grip as you can on these tires. That's 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 the job description, kind of. So you know. So right after that, you get Perez uh, blasting past Hamilton and yes. Mercedes, also very optimistic, uh, telling telling Hamilton. Okay, man. Now take the life out of these tires. Use up the tires yeah. and and get some pays out of them. He Go hell for laughed. leather. He just yeah. laughed on laughed. the radio. He's yeah. like, I've been using the tires for the last five laps. <laughs> the car uh, sucked. Uh, Julian Palmer. Uh, his analysis was that like in maybe in part stemming from Austin, which has some track surface similarities to what you find at Interlagos. That Mercedes got real gun shy with ride height. And so the oh, car yeah. was riding high to protect the plank. And obviously wow. that massively lessens the effect of the floor, uh, which is so crucial to cars now. And so this is one reason why the car handled like shit, because the way they fixed it was to add more wing. So it became a car with bad grip, yeah, uh, bad handling dynamics, and then a lot of drag. Then drag, yeah. It just seemed like an absolute... Nightmare, like the sh- God bless the short right races, because then there's only a few laps they can overtake you on. Uh, not the case here. Um, not even both Mercedes will finish this race. Um, so my my notes here start to get a little. This is where this is maybe the most boring part of the race weekend for me. It's it's a totally it feels fine like the race. Only action is just watching the Mercedes recede. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We have, uh, as you mentioned, Perez got past Hamilton into fourth on lap eighteen. Uh, Stroll, uh, Russell is just dropping back. I have Stroll getting past Russell into ninth position on lap 25. Then Stroll gets past Hamilton into fifth on lap 27. Uh, lap 32, Gasly gets past Norris into ninth. I think they're on different tire strategies there. I didn't, I didn't see much. There was a bunch of pits, obviously, during this whole period. Most of them happened, or the first round happened right after um, Perez got past Hamilton and they told him to rip his tires out. Uh, and Hamilton came in first. Um, it didn't seem like there was. It seemed like the, the the hards were not the tire to be on. Nobody wanted them. But Lewis Nobody later on, the medium sucked too. Yes, uh, the mediums <laughs> were slower when they were new than heavily used softs. Not a great place to be when it comes to compound <laughs> no. performance for overcuts, especially. It's not <clears throat> ideal. No, that's or not gonna, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so the undercut was consistently working this weekend, or at least temporarily working. Uh, but yeah, it was like there were a number of pit stops, but it was not an exciting strategy race because it's not like there was there's one tire that worked effectively, right. and uh, you know everything. You were either on that or you weren't. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like I, the one note I had was that if you want a sense of how bad it was for the Mercedes, uh, this was like. Uh, about 10 laps, 12 laps into their stint. Uh, as Stroll had been closing in on them, they were giving up three-tenths to Stroll a lap. 
Um, <laughs> which is just a like a ridiculous number for front running cars uh, in F one. Like three tons of lap is is gargantuan. So that's how that's how bad that car was. Uh, lap thirty five, signs passed Russell into seventh. Uh, two laps later, passed Hamilton into sixth. Then Gasly passed Russell into eighth. Gasly passed Hamilton on lap fifty uh, into eighth as well. Uh, Russell ended up retiring. Uh, in I believe he was in twelfth position by the time this happened on lap fifty nine. Um, he had some sort of an error come up. It was going to be that terminal. Is, no, that's the other thing that they had to. Maybe this hit more Russell more than Hamilton. Uh, they started telling him lift and coast because yeah. temperature, which was the other issue, is the co- like cooling the cars was hard this weekend. A lot of teams struggled temperature. Uh, your Ferrari powered cars were were having some issues as well uh, this weekend, but. Yeah, George, I think when what they told him when they pulled him in was engine oil temperatures were at a point where if they continue to run him, the odds of that engine being kind of finished off and right at the stage of the season, you don't want that. Uh, the, like damage was getting guaranteed. So they just pulled him because they couldn't they couldn't run the car anywhere near race pace without hurting it. Yeah, and he's added a points well at this stage and, and only going in one direction. So uh, the pragmatic call there. Uh, and then the lads. The lads decide. This has been a bit, it's been a bit of a, a dainty race. Let's turn up the heat. Let's have an L battle for the bronze medal. Perez and Alonso. Alonso and Perez. Um, this is like a 10, 12 lap. It's a long duel. This is just juicy. Um, absolutely loved it. So... I'm trying to remember when this, I think it was lap 65 is when we had the first um, little fight here between Perez and Alonso. And Alonso is holding third position. Perez is in the Red Bull, is, has been catching up with him. And he is uh, he's right behind him. He's in DRS uh, zone around here. And this is when they start to have basically a protracted Fernando Alonso defend like a lion fest. Perez is trying and trying to get that DRS to try and get him on turn one and failing, to try and get him on turn four and failing. And it's just not happening until two laps from the end, 72 lap race, lap 70. Perez passed Alonso into turn one and Alonso and Perez down that back straight, going for it, going for it, going for it. Alonso tries, but he can't do it. Can't do it. Perez is in third. But is that the end of the story, Rob Zagney? No, and with every other pat, like this is usually the end of the story. I certainly thought like it was like it was a done deal yeah. uh, at this stage of the race. But as they come back up to turn one, uh Alonzo held on to DRS range by the skin of his teeth and was drawing closer, but not close enough to actually do anything. Mm. Didn't matter. Perez covered off the inside. Really covered it off unnecessarily. Cut a really shallow line into turn one, which compromises your exit. And that exit of that little section is onto a critically important straight. And Perez hit it slow. And just like we saw in the sprint, the two of them going down into turn four, which is basically last chance saloon. Like, like if he's if you're not doing it on turn four, unless you you're very lucky, like a Piastri lunge, you get away with that when no one's watching. There's no way Perez is gonna 
keep keep the apex every time and not let him pass. Turn four is where it's going to happen. Alonso has a great um, drag out coming off at a turn three, gets DRS, and then hangs it around the outside to n- nail Perez on the way into turn four. And it's still not over. Because still not done. <laughs> it's still not done. Because are, Perez doesn't oh lose my. him in the no. uh, arena section, which usually people do. Like, usually the reason it's done here is because, like, at this point, the car that pulls into the into the lead, like, it's just hard to hang out of the back of anyone <laughs> through the section. It's just, it's done. Perez holds on pretty tightly. Uh, and they come up the back straight. And now Perez is the one with the draft and the DRS zone opens before timing and scoring, if memory serves. (laughs) So Perez starts to come on like a house on fire. And it is a straight drag race to the finish. And when they go under the checkered flag, Perez is leading. This is the, this is the, the, the mind melting part of it. What you see on TV is that where the guy is waving the checkered flag and where everything, your every fiber of your being tells you <laughs> that's the end. This is it. This yeah. is like Perez won at the at the at the at the line. Well, there's two lines you see. <laughs> there's the starting <laughs> line, there's the timing and scoring line they use for reference for things like the end of the race. And that one was considerably further up the road. So even though Perez crosses the starting line under the checkered flag visibly ahead of Alonso, when they hit the scoring line that ends the race, Alonso had a nose. 53 thousandths of a second, Alonso does it. Um, yeah, I was with you. I thought I thought Perez had gotten them, and then, then it, the timing, and I was like, did they get it wrong? Are they going to go real? Then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they just had the wrong spot. I couldn't tell I mean, where this the line is the was. Thing, like, this race was this race was kind of boring. It was. And at the end, I was like, Interlagos 2023, Great. all-time classic. Yeah. Cause the la- it wasn't even it wasn't even just those last two laps, right? It was a, kind of the last like seven or eight laps. It was like a like a story so that sort of I have a happened. note here. Perez took his first little stab at Alonso at lap fifty-six. Oh wow, it was then, that far back? Wow. And then fell off, and then yeah, around lap okay. sixty, it starts to kick up again. Uh, the other thing is, there was a point where it like closed up very fast, and I do kind of wonder if Alonzo had basically like read the writing on the wall, given up track space to charge the battery up to go mm-hmm. as deep into the fight as he could. Um, but it was, it was a great duel. Um, you know, de- you know, depending on what you want to see when you look at these things, was it also further evidence of like Perez? blowing a situation where he should have had a lot of advantages and just not being able to do it. Now, you know, if you're going to lose, lose the best. Um, yeah, like Alonzo's really good at this. He's a he's a good tactical driver, um, yeah. which is a special skill in F1. Not everyone has it, but he does. Uh, at the same time, you know, you look at it and it's just another 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 note in the in the gathering evidence that like Perez doesn't deliver uh, in these sort of high pressure situations. A, a Red Bull driver, I think they need them to to have that to to be able to defend that position. It was just because you could tell, you could see it on television. Like we're no, you know, we are no experts in how to drive an F one car. But when you saw him take that angle into turn one, and it's Alonso who basically is the master of I am going to find the. Uh, the the drive the line here that no one else is using 
I'm going to find yeah. the grip where you don't know where it is. And you saw it. The minute he turned that into turn one, I was like, oh boy. Like, if ever there was a circuit where you can't sacrifice no speed on on, on a and it first was, turn. It was, it was really unnecessary. Like, you look at the distance between them. He wasn't there. And, yeah. Yeah, Perez is defending a ghost. Uh, and Alonso and... is taking the line that's going... Like, he's not thinking about overtaking on turn <clears> one. He's thinking about overtaking on turn four as they're going in a straight start finish. To stretch. hear Alonso told that he thought it was done. Like, oh, really? it, like, that is the moment he realizes the fight's back on. Oh, you're kidding. Is, yeah, like, in, in the post-race, he was like, yeah, you know, tried to try to get the position back, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's too quick. And then I saw him uh, get a bit slow in turn one, and I was Ugh. like... Yeah, so it was, like, Perez, you know, kind of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, unfortunately, um, which has been a bit of the story of the weekend. I guess one of the other stories of the weekend is Aston Martin now... The way Ted Kravitz described it on, on air is that Aston Martin junked their upgrades and went back to oh. the earlier spec of the car. Now, I gather from some of the stories I've read that's not 100% accurate. They did a mix of old and new. They junked some upgrades but uh, kept others. But either way, like, one, like Aston Martin, which has been in free fall. Yes. Like, hit undo on a bunch of tweaks <laughs> they did they control z their and the car went season. back to being a second place car <laughs> on the grid which is kind of like it's good they did this but also really alarming like that yeah. you went that, that it went this bad one thing i couldn't shake is is alonzo too good and what, I'm, what i mean by this is everyone was like man stroll sucks like stroll's doing nothing in that car because like when they're when their performance dipped alonzo dipped a bit Stroll cratered. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But what if Fernando's like so gifted a driver that you won't actually get the feedback on whether an upgrade is really working because he will find a way to kind of make it work? Mm. And like Stroll, a much more average driver, might is there a chance that that guy is actually the better represent representation of like what <laughs> the the caliber of the car you're delivering to the grid? He's closer to the median than it's kind of what I'm like <laughs> the car was so much better this weekend. I know Interlock is kind of a usual track, but like they've been lost for ages uh, with 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 like upgrades throughout the season. They finally they finally junk a bunch and uh, they they wreck house. So it's I don't know. Wild. It was uh, you know it was a, it, a, a maybe a season saving weekend for them. Uh, you know, unwinding some of those changes, but. Uh, I don't know, it just struck me. Whoever, uh, however well they did, they were not good enough to catch the McLaren of Lando Norris or the Red Bull of Max Verstappen. Verstappen wins the race. Another record-breaking, what is he up to, 16 or something? I forget. Who cares? Verstappen won the race. <laughs> Lando Norris in second. Fernando Alonso on the third podium position. Sergio Perez languishing in fourth. Uh, Lance Stroll enjoying a fifth position, like you said, hitting Control Z on those uh, those upgrades. Uh, rough weekend for the Ferraris. Carlos Sainz comes in seventh. Um, Pierre Gasly in sorry sixth. Pierre Gasly in seventh. Hamilton eighth. Managed to stay in the points. Uh, Sonoda ninth. Esteban Ocon tenth. Logan Sargent in eleventh position. Mostly. I don't want to take it away from him, but we had a lot of DNFs in here. We had a DNS as well. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg in 12th. Got the car back together, but never really uh, got it going again. 
Uh, Ricardo managed to get one of his laps back somehow in the in the mix there, probably during a pit. He ended up in 13th. Piastri finished the race two laps down in 14th at the back because we had Russell, Bottas, Joe, Magnussen, and Albon DNFing and Charles Leclerc not even making it to the grid uh, in the DNS. The driver standings as they stand. Max Verstappen in first place, the current driver's champion. Uh, Sergio Perez in second with 258th. Hamilton in third with 226. Alonso in fourth with 198. He leapfrogged, I believe, both Lando Norris in fifth with 195 and Carlos Sainz in sixth with 192. The heat is on. The battle for fourth is in effect. Uh, Charles Leclerc. In uh, in seventh with 170, probably not breaking much higher than that by the end of the season. George Russell in eighth with 156. Uh, Piastri in ninth with 87. Stroll in tenth with 63. He jumped Pierre Gasly, who's in 11th with 62. Esteban Ocon in 12th with 46. Alexander Albon in 13th with 27. Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 13. Valtteri Bottas in 15th position with 10. Nico Elkenberg, he's not French, in 16th with 9. Ricardo's in 17th with 6, tied with Joe. And Magnussen is in 19th with 3. Lawson in 20th with 2. Logan Sargent in 21st with 1. Nick okay, DeVries some, with the goose egg. At some point, we all heard someone say Hulkenberg's, Hulkenberg's name really French style You're because right. I Ulkenberg. also have this problem where I keep saying I keep wanting to go like Hulkenberg yeah I, I have no is. idea where I'm pulling that from but I can hear it and I'm just I, I have this like deep drive to say it <laughs> uh, also forgot to mention uh, at the start of the race Man, the, just the, the team chemistry at Alpine as Ocon nearly drove Gasly into the wall uh, trying to slice him off at the start uh, and then slice him off as he tried to steer around the uh, the accident unfolding in front of the, both of them. Great stuff. Just, yeah. just awesome vibes. Great. Yeah, Ocon was in rare form this weekend. Um, uh, the constructor standings, Red Bull uh, at the top of the field in first position with 782. Mercedes in second with 382. Ferrari in third with 362. 20 between the two of them there. McLaren in fourth with 282. That's quite far. Uh, Aston Martin in fifth with 261. Maybe a little bit late for them. Their upgrades, but we'll see. Alpine in sixth with 108. Williams in seventh with 28. Alpha Tauri in 8th with 21. Alfa Romeo in 9th with 19. And Haas with a season to forget in 10th place with 12 points. We have some news to talk about. We have some emails to read out. And we will do that right after this delicious break. See you on the other side. And we're back, Rob. We got some news. And... This is quite funny news. I feel like that this is a good collection. Maybe it says something about the 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 the, the, the you know the difficult the difficult yeah the the we, we've had very different weeks, Rob. But we've had weeks that were that were that were tiresome, perhaps difficult in some respects. Maybe that's why we reached for news that was a little bit jolly. Um, do you want to take this first one uh, with our good friend Kevin Magnuson? So one of the things we didn't <clears throat> we we didn't really touch on dis- discussing the qualifying sessions at this at this uh, sprint weekend is that as is now commonplace, just constant issues being referred to the stewards, issues in the pit lane. But in previous weeks now, we ha- we're getting 
complaints about impeding at the exit at the the, <laughs> the pit line. Uh, this you sort of at the start the start of the exit to the pits, and race control cracked down on it. Like stop doing that. Stop parking at the end of the pits and impeding <laughs> other drivers. And Magnuson, in an interview like a week before the race, was like, "Okay, here's the problem." That's just going to move the problem into the pit exit lane uh, as people start trying to space their cars out as they join the track. Uh, And that is indeed exactly what happened uh, repeatedly this weekend is that we went from kind of ridiculous like traffic jams at the pit exit uh, line to... The type of stuff you're used to seeing at rush hour as people just like road Merging. rage out on like, yeah. 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 And arguably this is more dangerous because there it, it creates a situation where you, the cars are entering the the active racetrack at a quite a low speed. <laughs> no, and they issued like a, a rule where it's like, well, so if you're, uh, if you, you like leave space to your right so the cars can overtake if they want to jump you mm. in the line. And it's like, this is the first I'm hearing of those two lanes in the pit exit <laughs> yeah. lane. Like, this is, like, now you're just telling me, like, oh, don't worry, just drive on the grass. It'll no, be fine. A, that's a hub lane. You need to have uh, someone else in your car. Yeah, or, like, the driver's, or, like, showing up with, like, inflatable dolls to, you know, <laughs> be, be like, yes, this is my passenger. Yeah, so, like, we start Fast pass that. only, yeah. We we started seeing uh, people like tr- like sort of jockeying for position, and nearly colliding in the uh, you know basically the on ramp to the track, and so I don't know, man. I came out of this weekend being like, I feel like the qualifying just keeps getting more broken. Yeah, and I'm starting to come around to like, man, one shot quali. Let's do it. Like, I'm with you. Get these guys out. Like. Or if if you want like to to like have a bit more race pace, like do the IndyCar style, like you get four laps, we'll average them out, like who's who's got it. But this whole thing where it's it's so deterministic about like where you come out and the gap you have, it's not fun, and it generates all this bullshit. Yeah, we basically had one shot for the main race in Q three. Um, just nobody yeah. knew. Well, I guess they kind of did know, actually, a little bit. Like some of them, yeah, some they, of them they, knew. Yeah, you could, could, yeah, yeah. The, the weather was pretty dark. I could say which uh, one of them was blowing. Also, we, I just have to shout out the fact that the most Haas thing to ever happen, well, that's a, that's a high bar, but it is a very <laughs> Haas thing to have happened, which is apparently that Kevin Magnuson got stranded with no plane ticket in Mexico City. <laughs> I and heard so this. I, I saw a book. picture of him, uh, like, riding coach or something. What happened? Well, Danny, you know, there's not a lot of uh, the airlines don't like maintain a lot of like half empty flights anymore. Like every flight is going to be fully booked. They just don't. They, you know, you show up and it turns out that your booking doesn't exist. And you're like, okay, well, what? how much for a ticket on that flight? There won't be a ticket and there won't be a ticket on any other flights going where you want. And so what uh, Madison had to do to get to the race and apparently it was real close, was he had to book a multi-hop, multi-connection uh, coach flight from Mexico City uh, to Brazil. Oh, my God. So, He, like, went know, via, like, Lima or something. Or, like... Uh, Bogota. What, Bogota, as a okay. Of fact. <laughs> uh, with, apparently, like, uh, some circuitous flying, like, within Mexico as well. And so it was, oh, it was a lot of coach flights. 
Guadalajara um, to to Bogota yeah. to great stuff <laughs> to Rio de Janeiro to to uh, Sao Paulo. Good stuff. Well, fair play too. No wonder he was sick of traffic. By the time he got there, he'd been taxiing for yeah much of it. He's used to racing on uh, runways, you know, like Silverstone, not not that type of madness. Um, the do you want to quickly mention the the Sauber? Uh, what's <laughs> what's the what's the update on the Sauber deal there? This is just funny uh, because whenever you get headlines. Like uh, at Autosport, Audi commitment to F1 is unwavering, insists Sauber, uh, which is supposed to become the Audi team. <laughs> you start to think that the deal might be secretly dead. Right. Uh, yeah. And things are, that good things are not in the offing for that. My article about the Audi commitment to F1 being unwavering is generating yep. a lot of questions about my. <laughs> uh, and, and some of this is also that, like, uh, VW Group, Audi, like, nobody, like, Nobody is saying anything about this. They're not building hype for their impending entrance into F1. They're not, there's not a whole like, man, get ready for 2026 because Audi is coming. You're just not seeing the sort of like rollout that you would expect for, uh, you know, laying the groundwork for, for a racing campaign. Uh, I'm not sure you've seen the sort of splashy like staff hires and making a big deal out of that that you might see for a, for a major effort like this, they, they, I mean, they have, they, they have some, uh, you know, big, big names attached to it, but it's just been a bit quiet. And so that has gotten people asking like, what's the deal? Sauber's explanation is that, well, they're Alfa Romeo right now. Like this is a complicated transaction. And part of it is that Alfa Romeo and the current existing team, like they have the spotlight and Audi is going to sort of remain in the background until the time comes to formally transition things. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, you you see some public hand wringing about this. You you mm. do wonder what's behind that. Uh, speaking of public hand wringing, uh, if you are attending the Las Vegas Grand Prix, there might be a couple of things that are annoying you. Number one is, uh, apparently, and look, I live on the West Coast of America. I've been to Vegas many times. Saw this one coming a mile away. Um, a large amount of F1 fans are said to be very disgruntled after analysis reveals reductions as high as 83% in hotel prices at the Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, location. So this from uh, planetf1.com. Um, I saw this about a month ago. I think I mentioned on the podcast that the the prices were down 60% about a month ago. Um Vegas is a is a town that you can get a cheap hotel. You can get a nice hotel room. You can get a hotel like you can get a suite in the Venetian at a week's notice for like under two hundred bucks. This is not a. It's it, it, there's a lot of hotel rooms in Las Vegas, and they like to keep them as full as they can, and they want you in their casinos more than anything else. So they will they will give you a an affordable hotel ticket. Obviously, when the Vegas Grand Prix was announced, they all massively hiked their their yeah. prices in a dirty, dirty manner. But I, I think as a surprise to absolutely no one, uh, the average price in a lot of the uh, downtown establishments has plummeted uh, as the event draws a little closer. The other thing you can look forward to if you're going to F1 is yeah. being a scab. <laughs> um, what, what did you make of... Uh, in fairness, if you were going to do... Um, you know, if you were gonna uh, uh, stage yourself a strike, and you were part of the culinary union in Las Vegas, 
there is perhaps no better opportunity than the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Yeah, this feels like the moment to do it. Uh, this this cracks me up because this is a major, uh, th- like, this would be a major strike, uh, like pretty much a a body blow to like the, the city doesn't work if this workforce goes on strike. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, this is this is all the major resorts and casinos there. Uh, Thirty five thousand members at eighteen properties. And that feels like too many people. Like, there's always, like, you can get scabs, but can you replace? That's a huge workforce. Mm. Like, I, like, this just doesn't seem like it is a feasible thing to be like, oh, yeah, like, we'll have some managers do some some of this stuff (laughs) and then we'll hire some scabs and we'll just, like, ride it out and it'll be fine. So I can't imagine, but I kind of hope, like, Look, especially like listeners who have tickets, I hope your trip goes well. I'm like I, absolutely for, yes. I hope the workers get a good deal and everything. Absolutely, like, everyone like goes goes away happy. But I wouldn't. I would. I would be very interested to see how it all unfolds if the strike hits, and then this this event happens while a strike is ongoing, and like and- massive crowds have like the city's full. This would be the largest hospitality workers strike in the history of these United States. Um, they are saying that if they were to do it, um, if the if no deal was reached by MGM Resorts, Caesars Entertainment, and Wynn Resorts, that they will go on strike as of the morning of November 10th. So in one way, you'll know it's coming, which will be a good thing. In another way, it's not like you can turn up a day or two early and try and get out. Because I feel like some of the worst stuff is going to be like checking into hotels is just going to be like, I, like if, if the, I'm not hospitality people, I'm assuming also includes like all the folks who transport stuff around the hotels, who do the bags, who check people in. I don't know. Is it is it that or is it just people who work in bars and waiters and waitresses and stuff like that? I, I, I don't know. But I imagine... Just the way Vegas, Vegas is basically a large Disneyland for for adults. I mean, Disneyland's kind of for adults too <laughs> these days. But um, it, it, so the, the, no, nothing will work here without um, with these thirty five thousand people out there. So um, no, and this like the unions are asking. Like obviously, the strike is called. Uh, unions are asking people not to patronize hotels. Yes, uh, of course. They're, yeah. they're currently being struck and all this. Uh, I support that. I'm also a realist. People are gonna yeah. will have made plans. They're gonna go to this race. They're gonna show oh, up. If you, I don't like. Yeah, I, 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 I would. I don't think I've ever crossed the picket line in my life. But if you had booked something a year ago to go to this event, and it's a, you know, I, I'm not gonna cast yeah. aspersions on anyone who fucking goes. Well, to the especially because here's how you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna be in a casino. It's gonna be like The Walking Dead. I think is <laughs> right. gonna be the vibe where. <laughs> And I get you know maybe the hotels won't care uh, you know they're they're getting paid either way but I can't imagine I can't imagine like basically you have a massive number of people attending an event they paid a fortune for uh, and then you can't service those people I can't imagine that will go over well right. um, so it's 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 fascinating timing. I'm I'm looking forward to obviously like hoping for the best, hoping uh you know the the workers get a great contract, but also just dying of curiosity of what what would it look like if 
Like, they effectively shut down the hospitality industry in Vegas during F1 weekend. Uh, there's some great photographs uh, I saw on the Discord of... Um, they put up... They have all these, like, large Perspex bridges all around Vegas where you sort of have to cross the road because, you know, it's like seven lanes of right. of road when it's usually not a racetrack. Um, so they put up all these, uh, like, like basically, like, ga- you know non-transparent uh opaque uh you know stickers on them so you can't stand there and watch the race and people have already been like tearing them all off <laughs> so it's it's kind of uh it's gonna be interesting to see uh, in a lot of different ways it's gonna be interesting to see how this comes together i remember when we first talked about the vegas race we were surprised by this large orb that was at the racetrack do you remember yeah. that and now we all know about the sphere it's just part of the 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 you know part of life in vegas when back then we were like what's this large orb that's just ominously sitting at the side of the track um it's where bono lives that's where it is um uh, one last uh news hit here uh rob something about mercedes uh Perhaps unsurprisingly, um, not moving. Yeah. Or, or is this next year's car or this year's car they're talking about? Yeah, they're talking about like junking the whole concept for the car they make for next year. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Which is just funny because, you know, obviously it's kind of a nothing news story, but they're like, well, this kind of proves that we're right to not carry this design over. Hmm. And it's like, well, no kidding. Like, of course, this design wasn't working. This is what you were saying from, from lap one of the, of the season. It's just what's so funny is, it was also this race that convinced them that maybe their terrible 2022 car had a little magic in it. Oh, boy. Uh, and they should re-rack for 2023 <laughs> with that same concept uh, mm. that is obviously blown up in their faces. Yeah, no bad ideas in brainstorming. But uh, unfortunately for F1 teams, they do have to pick a lane at a certain stage, and often they don't know if it was the right lane until... It's too late. If you would like to send us a message through our email lane, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. We got some emails here, folks. It looks like, uh, Rob, I believe you're first up with this one from Ken. Yeah. Uh, So Ken writes, and a lot of people wrote in about this, and I was not on this show. So, Danny, what did you guys do? Oh, no, what did I do? Lots of people wrote about this. Hey, boys. I got to talk about this because just looking at numbers, the race, even within the context of Yuki having a power unit penalty and starting at the back, does not tell the whole story. Even knowing at a bad end of a clash with Oscar Piastri that lasted many laps, the reality, a devoid of race position, makes him look out of step with Danny Ricardo. But he, but had he been successful in that multi-lap clash, it would have put him right behind his teammate after starting in 18th place. More of you guys posit that Yuki was screwed over by the Alonso spin in qualifying, but he made it through Q1 and set no time in Q2 because he was towing Danny the entire time to get him ah, into Q3. Okay, no point okay. in taking part in quality with a power unit pen- penalty after all. Ultimately, the only thing that made him look bad the entire race was the final resolution to his battle with Oscar, but yeah. I suppose history will make it look like he started 18th, ended 12th, and nothing else of note <laughs> happened. Sorry, I'm just tired of the constant need to compare in situations where Yuki genuinely isn't underperforming, like his mechanical failure in Monza before the race even started, and Checo knocking him out in lap one at Singapore. Of course, Liam Lawson's outperforming a driver who isn't getting a chance to race. And now here we have a track where the Alphatori suddenly actually works, and Yuki has no choice but to start from the back. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally fair. I don't think we were critical of Yuki in Singapore or Monza. Maybe, I don't I feel like that's... 
I'm not quite sure, I mean, but you're in right. In general, we, we do a bit of hand wringing about like has he progressed far enough, which I still think is fair, but I I do understand like the the sense of yeah, I think uh, he's having a good season. Um, and I, uh, but the, the question is always like how, yeah, like you said, how far along, like how high is the ceiling? Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I totally did not t- t- take into account what was going on during qualifying. Um, uh, I think that's a a, a a very good observation. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up. I do think that, um, it's interesting to see. Uh, you know, the narrative of Danny Ricardo turning up at this, especially with how he, well he did when he came back after his wrist injury, is is always going to be like, you know, this, like, you know not quite the Alonso uh, situation uh, at Aston, but like a similar kind of thing. Like, oh, where are we going to see relative pace of this car in the hands of somebody who maybe has that little bit extra? Um, I really like Yuki, and I think he's been... Aside from these incidents, I think he's been more consistent. Like he had a big problem with not finishing races in his yeah. uh, in his first and second season, and I think it just maybe maybe it hits that sensitivity with me when I see him maybe go for it a little bit too hard and then crash out. Like that's what we used to always see with like yeah. Grosjean, for instance. You know, there's certain drivers who do that, and I don't think Yuki does that. Um, but I think maybe maybe myself and Drew were a little bit sensitive to that. Because uh, I think we both really like him as well and want him to finish races and get points, even if they're not the same points Ricardo's getting. I think like AlphaTauri, arguably this is the best two drivers they've had in the car um, in a long while, maybe ever. I don't know. We'll have to see. The car is not quite there. Um, next one comes in uh, from a, a different Danny, it seems like. Hi, Danny. See you at DannyCon 2024. Hi, I know you guys like to hear about obscure racing, so I thought I'd share a rally I'd never heard of, the Rebel Rally. It's a seven-day rally that takes place in the desert around California, and it's kind of like a large-scale scavenger hunt where drivers and navigators only use a map and compass, no GPS, to find checkpoints scattered around OHV areas. Rob, I may have to do this. Uh... OHV, if you don't know, is off-highway vehicle. They have these mm. OHV areas all around California. Um, I drive a Jeep Wrangler, so I'm often in OHV areas, climbing up silly things in my car. So this sounds cool. I get back to the email. There are only four or five mandatory checkpoints to keep everyone on course, but the rest are optional, and the goal is to get as close as possible to as many as possible to score the most points within the time limit. Usually a twelve hour, usually under twelve hour days. For example, if an X checkpoint is worth seven points, but you are off by a handful of meters, you still get five points. There have been full streaming productions, but sadly, it's difficult to film the actual racing. Everyone is driving to where they think the checkpoint is. It's off road, and putting a camera at the checkpoint <laughs> would kind of give it away. <laughs> but the interviews are always interesting, and you can really get the sense, <coughs> excuse me, that this rally is long. Uh, and can start to wear on a person physically and mentally. I found out about this because a friend of mine was competing in it as a rookie. She's a pit engineer at Honda for IndyCar, and the grid is filled with other women from all aspects of motorsport. Oh yeah, the grid is all women. Uh, One of the drivers was the person who builds the clay models of the cars from the 2D sketches. Oh, that's amazing. Pretty cool. But it seems like most folks come from different backgrounds in and around racing. Anyway, I thought it would be, uh, it was a really cool format. And I look, it looked like everyone was having a blast out in the desert. 
That is amazing. Right up until I heard that I I would not uh, qualify, um, I was interested in learning about. I'd never heard of that because like overlanding and off road racing and like you know you know I like to drive out in Death Valley and and uh, OHVs around California and it's like it's really good fun. It's it's kind of somewhere between like. I don't know, rallying and camping. You know what I mean? You just yeah. kind of find a washboard road somewhere and drive out or, or or drive down a really technical closed road that needs like, you know, foot of clearance and four-wheel drive. And then you kind of sleep somewhere weird and then you drive back, you know. It's like a fun thing. But this is this sounds really cool. Um, I, I kind of want to check it out. I wonder where it is actually as well. Did you ever heard of something like this? No, it sounds it sounds awesome. Unfilmable, but awesome. <laughs> yeah, Rebel Rally. It's uh, does it say where it is? Do, 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 do. Well, I can't. Yeah, they probably do. You're right. It looks. Yeah, who knows? I'll I'll, I'll look it up later. Uh, we have another email, I think. Uh, now nah, we gotta cut it short a bit. Okay, no worries. Oh, you're right. This one ran over. That always happens when it's two of us. No matter who it is, no matter what, too. We this is for a weekend. There was so much going on. There was a lot going on. Uh, we are a Shift F1 podcast on all of the social media stuffs. Uh, no time for race around the world because I forgot to put it together. Apologies. Drew Scanlon will be back next week, and this show will be back on all it's four winter. There's wheels. no more racing. It's close to it, man. We've got two races left. We will be back next week with our pre-Vegas race, which should be very interesting. Speaking of driving in the desert... It's going to be cold, man. We'll see how those tires do when it's Nevada. Nevada, 11 o'clock in November is no joke. It's going to be bloody cold. Uh, we'll see We'll see how those cars do. Um, uh, if you'd like to support the show, get access to all our bonus episodes, ad-free version of the podcast, and way more, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Before that, before I round this whole thing off, though, I do want to read from my beautiful book here, Rob, but that's okay. Uh, here on November 8th, in the past, after watching his rival at Williams dominate Formula 1 throughout the 90s, Ron Dennis had had enough and decided to l- try lure away Williams' chief designer and renowned aerodynamics whiz Adrian Newey by reportedly offering him a big salary and shares in McLaren, something not on offer at Williams. Today, in 1996, Newey decided not to turn up for work at Williams, and eventually he negotiated his way out of his contract with the Grove based team and joined McLaren where he designed the cars that returned them back to the front of the grid. Nine years to the day, later in 2005, Red Bull Racing announced that Newey would be joining the team in 2006 as Chief Technical Officer. It was something of a coup for the midfield team to lure away one of the sport's top designers after eight years at McLaren, which saw Newey designed cars uh, twice win the World Championship with Mika Hakkinen. And the rest, as they say, is history uh rob what are you gonna do for the rest of uh your week no racing on this weekend it's been the first weekend in a month that there hasn't been a race what's that gonna be like for you uh well i mean there's a lot of games i've been needing to get around to playing and uh you know with everything's been going on it's been challenging to get moments to focus in on it so uh hoping hoping to get some to get some games in uh but yeah yeah, it's it's weird. We are approaching the end of the season, and we're going to have a lot of weekends with no F one on, and that's going to be weird, but also a bit welcome. Yeah, it's always a funny one. Whenever and Thanksgiving's coming up, there's a lot of like stuff coming up that isn't racing, so it's kind of a nice time for the racing to chill out a little bit as we enter those winter months. Uh, thank you all for listening to this podcast. Uh, thank you all for putting up my, uh, you know, you know, my my real. I'm a real. 
I'm no Fernando Alonso. You know what I mean? I'm more of a, a Lance Stroll when it comes to hosting this podcast. But I'm trying my best. And my dad owns the company. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And now is the time that I say the thing. Meow.